In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, Beloved, we are traipsing through Luke's gospel this summer and fall. Does it feel that way to you, traipsing? Um, That's how it feels to me. Um, This is our series for the summer and for the fall. It's going to take us all the way through Advent. We're just reading from the lectionary, and it's Luke's gospel. Jesus journeying to Jerusalem, proclaiming good news for the poor and enacting salvation for everyone. Do not be afraid, Jesus says. How many of you have a little voice in your head that has a retort to that? Don't be ashamed. A lot of us do. Easy for you to say. You're God. Yeah, right. That's impossible. Or maybe just a little... There you go. Yeah, we're on the same page. We all have uh, these little defense mechanisms embedded in our souls that can screen us off from good news, not allowing it anywhere near our hearts, which can sometimes feel so fragile. And often what we're doing when we close ourselves off to good news is actually trying to protect ourselves from something that we fear might be a false promise. We don't want to be disappointed if it doesn't happen. And so good news sometimes doesn't really sound like good news. Jesus can say, don't be afraid, and we think, ah, I think I'm going to stick to being afraid. (laughs) Because it feels like a better idea. But Jesus knows this, beloved, which is why he doesn't give up after just a few tries. God will never give up moving toward our fear with words of love, words of healing, words of good news, words that bring wholeness. It takes a while to sometimes break through some of our defense mechanisms, but God knows this, and God's not going anywhere. So as we get into this sermon, I just invite you to notice what your knee-jerk reaction is. Do not be afraid, Jesus says. There it is again. What was it? Just notice it. Try to endure. You might feel some shame about it if it's like, man, what kind of a disciple am I if I just reject Jesus' words out of hand? That's okay. Just notice that you're feeling shame about it and try to endure it and just be with your reaction, whatever it is, and be curious about it with Jesus. Fear is one of the seven universal emotions that are experienced by everyone around the world. doesn't matter what culture you're in, there's seven universal human emotions. Fear arises naturally along with the threat of harm, either real or imagined. And so in some ways, fear can actually serve an important role in our lives in keeping us safe as it mobilizes us to cope with potential danger. But that's not exactly the fear that Jesus is talking about here. He's not saying to live without any sense of uh, protection of yourself in the world. Because today's text is actually a culmination of a whole series of teachings that Jesus is giving on how to relate to possessions and wealth to those who are learning to live in God's kingdom. Fears and worries about possessions and wealth are some of the most fundamental we have because They relate to our very survival. We worry about food. We worry about clothing. We worry about shelter, status, 
honor, belonging, community. This is the stuff of life. And we worry about it. We fear that we're not going to have what we need to flourish. So our fears of deprivation and powerlessness, our fears of rejection and loneliness, of suffering and death, drive us to accumulate wealth, to exploit the weakness of others, to wage war, to scrape and claw and make sure we get enough for me and mine, never mind the consequences for others. As a society, we've actually created this kind of system and we've said, this is good. This is the natural way of the world. We fear scarcity in other ways too, of course. Not enough time, not enough energy, not enough love, not enough goodness, not enough resilience. And it's into this mess, into these fears, that Jesus proclaims this word of good news to his followers and to us today. Fear not, little flock. For our flourishing is not a scarce commodity we have to figure out how to get our fair share of. Our flourishing is a gift from God, our Father, who delights to share the goodness of divine life with us. When we participate in this upside-down economy of God's kingdom, freely sharing what we have with whoever is in need, we store up an indestructible treasure in heaven, a storehouse of inexhaustible abundance that we will all inherit together. So, beloved, let go today of your fear disguised as prudence, your worry masquerading as wisdom. Divest yourself from the system of exploitation and accumulation and live now in the economy of God's age to come where we all share in the abundant life under the Lordship of Jesus. Don't be afraid, little flock, Jesus says, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. For Jesus to say, don't be afraid to us, doesn't mean that there's nothing to be afraid of. These aren't monsters in the closet. These are real things that can harm us, not having enough. So Jesus isn't saying you're silly to be afraid. Jesus isn't even saying you're sinning to be afraid. It's just that we don't have the whole picture. We don't know the whole story. And so our fear actually has this effect of impeding our ability to perceive God at work in the world not just that which we are afraid of. And so Jesus here proclaims the truth that we so often miss, that you're God's little flock. God cares for you as a father. God is actively tending to you and to your needs. And our father's character is such that he delights to give to give us the kingdom as a gift, the abundant life in God, freely and liberally shared together. And this good news then empowers the disciples to do what? Feel better? Maybe a little bit, hopefully. Feeling better is great. It's better than feeling bad. But not just feeling better, because the next command comes. Sell your possessions. Give alms. Make for yourselves purses that don't wear out in unfailing treasure in heaven. 
In the first century, this is, this is Jesus being radical here, by the way, because in the first century, the normal social pattern was something that we might call exploitative reciprocity. We learned some about this in our Mammon series back in Lent. You gave to others in order to enhance your own status in the eyes of others. You gave to others expecting something in return, sometimes repayment of the money with interest. Sometimes it was repayment in service and honor. This was a really, really important way of determining who was powerful and important in those days. And it was just the way the world worked. You give in order to place others in your debt. They are obligated to pay you back in service. In either way, your honor goes up relative to others in the eyes of the community. It was a scarce resource. So when you got more of it, somebody else was getting less of it. And so God's kingdom here, Jesus' recommendation to his disciples for what they can do if they won't fear is to completely upend this whole way of life. The whole social world, the economy, the way it worked, Jesus is upending it here by saying God confers the highest status on everybody. It's not a scarce commodity. Honor is available. It's abundant. And y'all have it. It's God's delight to give us the kingdom. Anyone who will receive it as a child. And so Jesus here is saying disinvestment, disinvestment and almsgiving is this radical act that disrupts the way the society worked. Instead of spending your life trying to climb the social status ladder, instead we recognize that God is actually the supreme benefactor who provides for both the giver and the recipient. This kind of giving then does not place the recipient in my debt, but rather embraces them as members of one's own inner circle. This is an act of solidarity now, where we welcome others into the circle, the family circle, the inner circle of family. This is about expanding our vision of solidarity, who is me and mine, to include the whole world, but especially those who've been cast to the margins, especially those who cannot repay, especially those with low status, especially those who have been cast aside. That's what this kind of giving does. It does not place them in further debt. It welcomes them into the status that we all have in God. So giving in this way, without placing others in my debt or expecting repayment, is to trust that I will be repaid by God. We all will be. It'll be fine. There's an abundance. We don't need it. This thing that we're chasing, it's abundantly available. So kingdom giving then results in solidarity with the marginalized on earth and treasure in heaven that cannot be stolen or lost. Words like this to those who have worldly wealth and status feel like bad news because they're still living in the world where honor is scarce. And so if somebody else is raised up, I don't know if I like that. How will I know if I'm important unless I can compare myself to other people? And so they tend to resist it. But for those without status or honor, they run into the kingdom. They receive it like children. For the marginalized, for the oppressed, this is great news. And they embrace this hilarious upside-down kingdom. 
It's hilarious. God just turns the world upside down and says, no, this is the way it is. And the poor are like, wow, that's hilarious, God. And great, let's do it. So God has conferred the highest status on all as a gift. And now these people who don't need to be better than anyone else anymore are free to share their resources with those who need them. Of course I'm free to do this. I already have the highest status. I can't gain anything because I have it all. Trusting that they are building up treasure in heaven. Fear not, little flock. Our flourishing is not a scarce commodity that we must fight to get our fair share of. Our flourishing is a gift from God, our Father, who delights to share the goodness of divine life with, with us. When we participate in the upside-down economy of God's kingdom, freely sharing what we have with those in need, we store up an indestructible treasure in heaven, a storehouse of inexhaustible abundance that we all inherit together. Then Jesus goes on to what feels like a record scratch moment, right? Be dressed for action. Have your lamps lit. I'm coming back. He seems to change the subject here. Does anyone else associate this passage with fear? Yeah? I think whenever I heard that Jesus was coming back when I was younger, I used to think, look busy. Do not let him catch you napping. There will be hell to pay. Right? But wouldn't it be weird? It would be ironic if Jesus was like, don't be afraid, little flock. Be ready for my coming back, right? I'll give you something to be afraid of. Sometimes we hear Jesus uh, in very ridiculous ways. No, that's not what Jesus is doing here. That would be ironic and silly, silly of Jesus. That's not the kind of watchfulness Jesus is talking about here. This isn't the anxious, fretful watching that fears punishment. This is an excited, hopeful watching that anticipates the return of a loved one. It's like waiting at the airport for someone you love that you have not seen for a while. You watchfully scan the crowd for the beloved's face, eagerly staying alert and awake anticipating the moment of reunion. So it's not a readiness so that you can avoid punishment. This is a readiness to receive the blessing of God's upside-down kingdom. It's your Father's good pleasure to give you this kingdom, so be ready. Watch for it. It comes at unexpected times and in unexpected ways through people that you would never expect. The blessing often comes through those that you initially find perhaps repulsive perhaps disgusting. But there it is, the upside-down blessing of God's kingdom. Be ready, be watchful, be dressed. We practice this watchfulness because our master is coming, and I could preach a whole sermon on this, but the master comes and does what? Serves the slaves. I think this is Jesus just rubbing it in, saying, what you're getting ready for is completely bonkers, completely upside down from what you expect. So we practice this watchfulness by living the values and the practices of God's new world in the midst of the old. We practice our moves for the world to come, knowing the current system has been judged and will fail. 
It will fail. It's already been judged. So the new reality God invites us into is to say there's a kingdom coming, and it's here, actually. So practice that kingdom. And as we do that, we actually participate in the realization and the activation, if you will, of that kingdom. We don't just twiddle our thumbs and wait for it. We participate in it because it's here and it's available. So every time, beloved, we let go of fear and we offer ourselves to others in a posture of gift, trusting that because of the resurrection of Jesus, nothing can stop love from overcoming all obstacles. Nothing will stop it. Nothing can. Don't be afraid, little flock. It's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. God is preparing a city for us. And it operates in a completely different way. So what are you afraid of this morning? Where are you tempted to believe the lie of scarcity? Where do you need to trust the abundance of God's kingdom? What do you feel you must hold on to to secure your own flourishing? Maybe for some of us it is resources. Jesus was talking about money and possessions. We do have a discipline of giving uh, here at the table, and one of the ways to think about this is that we are sharing resources with each other for our life as a community together. As part of that sharing, we also have a benevolence fund where people with extra can put that in the fund, and then people with need can say, hey, I have a need. And we use this all the time for people inside and outside our church. It's a way of sharing. It's a way of standing in solidarity with one another and with those in need in our community. So it's a real practical way. For some of, some of us, that might be an act of faith for us to contribute and to be part of that. But for others of us, it could be all kinds of different things. Any clinging maybe to a certain way of showing up in relationships that you think, I have to do this in order to be loved, in order to be accepted. One of the things for me is I feel like I have to show up competent and responsible, not needing anything. I feel like that's, my flourishing is at stake. I can't show up weak. I can't show up irresponsible. I can't show up having forgotten something I was supposed to remember. It feels deeply threatening to me. And so for me, an act of faith is to ask for help when I need it instead of just work myself to death. So that's an act of faith for me. That's a me letting go of something I'm afraid of and allowing God's kingdom, upside down kingdom, to draw me into the mutual flourishing that God promises. So this morning, what is it for you? What fear do you need to let go of? Where do you need to trust God? This isn't today, we're gonna pray in just a little bit, we're gonna come to the table. This isn't a matter of promising God I'm never gonna be afraid again. You don't need to do that. You might be afraid three seconds after you pray the prayer. That's okay, just pray it again. Just keep doing it. Like that's how we walk in faith. We just, oh, I'm afraid again, there it is. And we just confess it, we let it go to the best of our ability. We take a step of faith. Okay, I can trust, I'll walk forward. Fear not, little flock. Our flourishing is not 
a scarce commodity. We must fight to get our fair share of. Our flourishing is a gift from our Father in heaven who delights to share the goodness of divine life. So when we participate in the upside-down economy of God's kingdom, freely sharing what we have with whoever is in need, we store up an indestructible treasure in heaven, a storehouse of inexhaustible abundance that we will all inherit together. So let go of your fear today. Divest yourself of this world system and live now in the economy of the age to come. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.